Thanks for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Karim Khan, the editor of BJSM, and I get to listen to some of the world's best physiotherapists in this job. And today, you'll have the privilege of listening to two leading clinical professors, Kay Crosley from La Trobe University in Melbourne and Peter O'Sullivan from Curtin University in Perth, Australia, chatting about their impressions on some trends in world physiotherapy. Thanks for being in the studio in London, Kay. Thank you, Carl. Happy to be here. And Peter in sunsetting Perth. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. It's always a pleasure. I'm going to begin by throwing to Peter about the issue of pain across different conditions. You think that there have been too many silos and there's some principles that we can apply as clinicians across the board. That there's this common narrative that's evolving and that is, um, you know, these musculoskeletal pain when it becomes disabling uh, there are very kind of similar and shared uh, multi-dimensional factors that look like they're important um, uh, to the person and predictive of of their levels of pain and disability and I think that's really nice because it 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 kind of creates this narrative around um, the the factors that are driving pain and disability across a bunch of disorders and takes us away from the siloed approach. And I think that's that's really helpful for clinicians and it's um, as, a, as a message of understanding pain rather than uh, becoming kind of focused on a, an individual structure. And Peter, before we go to Kay, let me ask you to drill down on a couple of examples. So I'm in the clinic and how can I benefit from what you're sharing with those key elements? Yeah, so um, I'll give you a couple of examples of two patients I saw yesterday. So the first um, uh, case that comes to mind was a lady who a few years ago had had, um, developed some knee pain and then ended up with an arthroscopy and that didn't go well. And then she subsequently had three more arthroscopes um, done. And so four years later, she'd not really done well with her rehab um, she tried, you know, various interventions, and it really just got to a point where she get, she'd given up. And, you know, this had had massive impact on her life. She was only in her late 30s, but she'd stopped playing with the kids. She wasn't walking the kids to school. Um, she was very fearful of loading her leg. And when we, uh, you know, talking to her, she she said, "Look, the surgeon said my knee stuffed, and I'm really just waiting for a knee replacement." Um, she'd become very fearful and avoidant. She completely wasted on that leg. Uh, she was functionally unstable on it um, and had no confidence in loading. It was very sensitized. And, you know, getting her to expose to loading the leg, she, she you know, almost went into a panic state. Um, so I think what that highlights is that, you know, there may be structural factors linked to the disorder, but there are all these other things that interplay uh, that we see are important with pain and disability. Now, um, a, contra- a contrast to that was another lady I saw yesterday who um, had developed back pain uh, again a number of years ago and had these episodes, but these episodes are coming more and more frequent, and now she's terrified of, um, of these episodes of pain that leave her, you know, totally disabled, and, you know, she'll call an ambulance, and she's laid up for a number of um, days after that. And this has really impacted on her life now in that she's been given this diagnosis of an MRI scan and having disc bulges and some annular fissures and she's terrified that every time she bends she's going to um, you know have these episodes and so 
you know, these, this interplay between um, tissue sensitivity and, say, structural changes, um, uh, interplaying with things like um, a, um, a pathoanatomical diagnosis where the person becomes fearful of their body and develops avoidant and protective behaviors that leaves them trapped in the cycle of pain and disability. And, you know, I look at these two cases and, you know, a different pain region, but actually there are so many common threads to those two cases. And, to me, that really articulates a lot of what we're seeing in the evolving literature of this interplay between, um, you know, structure, lifestyle factors, um, uh, you know, activity levels, um, confidence of loading a limb or bending and lifting, um, changes in the motor system um, uh, that kind of integrate to leave this person in a, in a situation where they really have no confidence in that body part, and and then. Uh, in this ends up having significant impact on their on their daily life. And you've seen those patients yourself, Kay. What does that bring to mind? Yeah, so both in the clinic but also in research. I suppose I wanted to pick up on something, Pete, that sort of went through everything you were saying and everything that we see more in sort of the hip knee space is how we actually talk to patients and what we say. And, you know, both of your examples, I think, um, the patients hearing something from their radiologist or their doctor or their physio that makes them really fearful and actually what we yeah. say as clinicians can make such a big impact on the patient's life mm, absolutely yeah and and i think what that tips into is this whole idea of um you know patients want to know and they, they need a diagnosis and and the clinician wants to give it but we often get caught in this trap of making our diagnosis all about the structure or based on mri findings and the problem with that is it doesn't tell the whole story and it and it really leaves the person with nowhere to go with that apart from maybe going down the surgical route. Uh, where actual facts, um, you know, we know that there are all these modifiable factors that have a really important role in terms of the management of a patient. These are the things that become key targets of our assessment and then when we communicate the, the, um, the condition to the patient, it encompasses all of those factors which then allows the patient to see that this is a disorder that actually they can have a role in managing. And I, and I think that whole communication aspect around how we um, explain uh, the patient's condition to them is so important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and as you would know, and, and a lot of other physios working in clinical practice will know, they'll either come with a diagnosis from another professional or come perhaps with a bag of images themselves. And you know, what we're not saying is to ignore that. And I think that um, we know exactly. that in a proportion of people with back pain, sorry, a proportion of healthy people, a large proportion of healthy people as we age, they're going to have findings that are typical of disc degeneration or osteoarthritis. And so we can mm. explain that to patients in those terms. Certainly in knee pain, we know that if um, we can honestly say to patients, you know, if we scanned your other knee, it would probably look quite similar. And we know that is the truth. Yeah. And we can talk about normal ageing and where these sort of findings fit within normal, normal ageing. But we can also talk yeah. about healing as well. And so, you know, the, the second example perhaps is, is a better example in my mind. Actually, they're both very similar of your case. If someone has an acute injury, they then become naturally fearful of using that body part. Mm. They then lose function, lose muscle strength, lose proprioception, lose exactly. all the other sort of physiological uh, 
adaptations to having had the injury and then they have the psychological adaptations to having had the injury and then they just have this persistent pain so they never actually recover good function they never recover good strength proprioception all the things they need and so all they can see and all they hear about are these imaging findings but in actual fact we can talk about natural healing and we can talk about the things that they can do that are going to make a difference to their long-term joint health, but also to their long-term pain and disability. So I think physios have a really important role to play in terms of communicating that to their patients. I'm going to ask each of you to share the words that you actually use in the clinics with the patients. And Peter, why don't you begin with a back pain case? Yeah, so um, so for the lady I saw yesterday, um, after taking her history and listening to her story and her concerns and her fears and worries and her functional limitations, then part of the examination um, was to look at those things very functionally. So, you know, her fear of um, relaxing when she sat, her, her fear of rolling over, her fear of bending and lifting, they were the things that we examined. And, and then they were easily modified when we were uh, enable her to relax and shift her focus, she could modify her, her symptoms and improve her ability to control her pain. That then gives you an opportunity to sit down and say, look, we can look at your MRI scan and, and I put it up and I, and I explained it to her and said, look, you know, the, these are changes here, but just like what Kay said, we know that anyone of your age would show quite a similar thing. Now, these structures can become highly sensitized, so it's not saying that they're not relevant, but these other factors that you're talking about, like this protective guarding and this avoidance, we know that the spinal structures love to be able to move, to load, to be active, um, to be used in a normal way, and, and you're holding your back in the same position in every single task that you do, and you're highly guarded. Uh, and it looks to me from your examination that when we get you to relax and move, you actually feel better. That's very consistent with our understanding of what's healthy for the spine. And so, in a sense, taking the person's story and their imaging findings and the examination, and then I, one of the things I do is I write down these factors, the things that they've said, and I'll say, like, so this started with this pain event, and you've described how frightened you get and that your response to that is to protect and avoid. And the problem with that, it leaves you disabled and that, that's distressing. And so you kind of set the cycle up um, and that's very sensible to the person because essentially it's reflecting back their story but trying to make sense of it. Uh, and then that opens up a conversation around um, with a shared decision-making process of like how you might better break that process, that cycle um, to enable the person to get back to the things that they value. So um, then aligning the management to the, and this kind of fits into the management side of things, to the patient's goals. So her goals was she's, she loves being active, but she's frightened of being active. And so identifying the things that she's fearful of and then the activities that she wants to do then sets the agenda for the process of management. Um, and that, that's a kind of shared decision-making process. So, you know, her goals were to have better control over her pain, to better understand what was going on, um, and then to get to build a confidence to get back and do the things that she wanted to do. Uh, and so, you know, that encompasses education and then, um, you know, targeted active therapy around taking her down that path. Um, and Kay, what do you say to your patients? So obviously there's a lot of similarities which which basically goes back to where Peter started in this conversation about the similarities in people presenting with different conditions that they've had for a long period of time. I suppose I just want to pick up on a couple of things that are different. So um, obviously the structure we talked about the same. 
I will talk to people about their weight. I'll talk about, um, even if they are of normal weight, I'll talk about the importance of maintaining normal weight over time. Um, I can draw diagrams showing how much weight goes through your knees when you do different activities. And if you put on weight, that's gonna have an impact on terms of um, putting more load on the joint. Um, but we'll also talk about if they need to lose weight as well. And I think it's important to have that conversation with patients. And I think a lot of physiotherapists aren't as comfortable having those discussions. And I'm sure Pete has those discussions in people with back pain as well. I'll also talk about the importance of, of getting strong. And I think there's so much evidence in the knee and other areas that um, if we get strong in our legs and, and other you know, whole body, then we can reduce pain and improve function over time. And the weight of evidence is very, very strong in that. In that. And I think if, if our beliefs as physiotherapists is that those interventions work and we can get our beliefs across really strongly to the patients, then I think they'll understand the need for that. And, and I'll explain to them that they'll have become weakened over time because they've had their initial injury and that they'll need to get strong now in order to recover. So I think they're the sorts of things I'll talk about and then also load management. So even people who, you know, we, Pete and I and Karim, you know, used to training people who are very active in sport, um, but then because of their injury, as Pete says, they've become very fearful, they've stopped doing things. So they've basically detrained their body and so talk about the importance of load management. And then as we go to um, increase that load, then they will expect to have a little bit more pain, but that's all part of the healing process and sort of talk about healing and their role in healing and, um, and getting themselves stronger over time. So there are some of the things that I would probably add in my conversations above and beyond what Pete's already said. But Pete, I just wanna come back to you with some of the psychological um, aspects of pain mm. do you go into any yeah. specific psychological um, assessment or do you mainly look at things like fear of movement and and those sorts of things that are perhaps a little bit less constrained by say psychometric um, outcome measures yeah yeah so we um, every all the patients who come into our clinic uh, fill in the Ouroboro, um screening questionnaire which um, captures things like um, as well as pain and disability, it catches things like their pain beliefs, um, their level of stress, anxiety, uh, their mood, um, uh, their belief of pain persistence, um, issues around sleep. So it's a really nice quick screening tool um, that can capture a number of different factors. I think one of the areas that um, we often we often misunderstand is that there are a lot of people with pain who are very distressed uh, who are fearful and um, when people lose function it impacts on their mood um, that doesn't mean that it's a mental health problem <laughs> um, and so there's this kind of there's this line between pain related distress and fear which is not classified as a mental health problem like they're not you know clinically depressed or an anxiety disorder um, but those factors are really important to, to capture and address in terms of management so giving people a clear understanding of pain giving them strategies to build confidence to get back to things they love from the data that we've collected has a significant impact on their mood on their confidence on their levels of fear um, on their worry about their pain um, and and I think that's a very important message for physiotherapists to get because you know we're not psychologists and, and so we're not treating mental health problems but we're treating the the cycle emotional consequences of people when they're disabled um, and they're not doing the things in life that give them meaning and that will have a profound impact on their mood 
um, and their levels of distress. And I just want to come back to something you I mentioned earlier, Pete, about the importance of shared decision making in um, in our assessment of patients and, and goal setting as well. So it's not just someone coming in saying, you know, I've got back pain, I've got back pain, you know, 10 out of 10, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for me? It's about saying, well, what do they want to get out of it? And how are we going to exactly. work together on this? And I think um, our assessment is um, is so important to really to delve into that aspect of the patient as well, yeah. and as part of that to yeah. try and influence um, what they think they can do for themselves, which I suppose goes into yeah. how we're going to manage it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I, that that springs to mind a lovely paper of Julia Hush's that was published a few years ago that asked people with pain what what was really important to them. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we often hear is just to understand it. It's like people need to understand what's going on. Um, uh, and then, you know, pain relief is one thing, but often people talk about pain control. Um, and pain control is that that sense that you have some control over your pain. But then the other big things are linked to um, functional capacity or ability to do things that they value and quality of life. And often if we just focus on the pain, but we're missing out on those other key aspects around function, um, and quality of life, which is that ability to, you know, play with your kids, go for a walk, ride a bike, um, that tip into all those really important lifestyle factors as well. If you can both just stay right where you are, we will launch the next podcast on the treatment side and thank our listeners for joining us. 